Are you ready to make some real good learning? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Good Learning Podcast, where we dive deep into real-world examples of real good learning as told by the best L&D professionals in the field. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, founder and chief learning strategist at the Good Learning Agency, a boutique fractional CLO agency advising on corporate learning strategy that's aligned, effective, and approachable. At Good Learning, we believe over-the-top results don't require over-the-top learning. Each episode, we'll take a holistic look at a specific learning intervention, how it came to fruition, what went into developing it, how it was measured, lessons learned, and so much more. You'll hear from real-life L&D practitioners from all over the world who are doing the work and making some real good learning happen while doing it. No matter what your function is inside of your organization or team, we're all responsible for creating real good learning. Now, let's go see how it's done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Learning Podcast. And I'm so excited about today's episode because we have another one of our fractional CLO consultants joining us today, Rebecca Lurch. And she's going to talk all about something that may not be super sexy to most, but it's something that we all experience in our L&D careers, which is a technology implementation and transformation inside of the organization. And the way that she helped the organization train, prepare, and get ready for the launch of this is such a fun, exciting, and unique take that I know you all are going to love and eat up and find some real applicability to any type of technology transformation that we're supporting inside of an organization. So like I said, super excited to have Rebecca Lurch on the podcast today. Rebecca is passionate about choreographing learning and internal communication solutions that bridge knowledge gaps and enhance employee development. For the last 10 years, Rebecca has led results-focused talent development programs and managed corporate communications. She set learning strategy and built an L&D department from the ground up, directed projects impacting hundreds of employees, which we'll talk about today, and authored hundreds of reports and documents leading to organizational growth. She's an agile, curious problem solver, and she's driven to help others surpass her their goals. And in addition to all of that amazingness, she's also a professional amateur ballerina who loves hippos, cats, and music. So without further ado, let's meet Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome to the Good Learning Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Yeah, I'm so excited. You have such a I, we're not going to talk about your whole career journey on, on this show. There's another there's another show we could do that on. Um, but I really love, well, I love you. You know that. But what I love about your experience, what you bring to the table is just this ability to have that strategic mind, but a lot of this from like this project management perspective, from this communications perspective, um, and to be able to bring all of those together for learning solutions. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show to really look at a specific you know, the role, the part of the show is to, the point of the show is to really look at a specific learning program or intervention, I can't speak today, um, to showcase what real good learning looks like. And when I think about good learning, you're one of those people that pop up for me. So tell us a little bit about you, what you're up to these days, the roles that you held, we can talk about some previous roles as well, give us a little snippet of your journey. Um, And then we can dive right into the business challenge and the change that you were solving for with this particular intervention. 
Sounds good. Well, my background started actually in higher education and held some administrative and kind of adult education program directing positions within higher ed, and then transitioned to the corporate world um, where I was most recently working at a credit union. And I had served as a project and communications manager and was then asked to head the first learning and development area at the organization. Um, prior to that, training had really been kind of a one-off, really just designed for one type of position, um, one and done, nothing strategic, nothing sustainable. So I was brought in to really build that program from the ground up. So the, the role that I was in um, was vice president of learning and development. Um, it was a relatively small institution, about 200 full-time employees, and overseeing all of the training and learning functions within the, the organization. Awesome. And now you're uh, part of the good learning team, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later as well. So <laughs> yes, uh, anything you hear, anything you hear Rebecca talk about today, she can do for you. So reach out to us. <laughs> So let's talk about, I know we talked about a little bit offline before we hit record, but tell us about what we're really talking about today. So business challenge, business change that you were solving for, what what learning intervention are we, are we chatting about today? So to give a little bit of a, a background and context uh, for those not in the financial space, at financial institutions, banks, credit unions, almost everything is conducted through what's known as a core processing system. So if you think about when you go into a bank to you know, uh, deposit money, pay a check, get a loan, everything is being processed through this one system. So when I was in the position of VP of Learning and Development, the organization was converting from one core processing system to a completely different one. So what this meant is that all all of that data from our you know, approximately 65,000 um, in the credit union space members, bank space would be called customers, all of their data had to be converted into this new system. And just about every staff member needed to be trained on how to do every single thing that they do in a new, in a completely new system. So uh, probably about 80% of the organization utilized this day in, day out. And so, probably many different ways. In many, many different ways. So the way that a teller would use it would be completely different from how a mortgage loan officer would use it would be completely different from how an accountant would use it. So there were all of these different facets that we needed to, to consider. And I so, think that's... That's pretty common too. I think even beyond financial institutions of, you know, a specific system being implemented that is organizational wide, that all different departments and levels and roles are impacted by it and utilize it day in and day out, but in such different ways. So like what a, what a challenge, not only to move the data successfully, right, but then to equip 80% of a workforce with the tools for an entirely new system. Exactly. So it was it was a very large undertaking. At the time that we started the project, or I guess signed the contract and were ready to go, it was about a year process between that point and the point where we were actually converting the data. So when we first started, um, our department was myself and two learning and development specialists who also did all of the other things that, that were incorporated into, into training. 
We began by doing a needs assessment with the core processing provider, where we brought in leaders from every single department, users from each department determined what they would need to know, how they were using it day in, day out. And then working backwards from that, looked at, well, what training would need to be provided for each area? And when we calculated out the number of approximate hours and man time that it, or woman time that it would take to provide this training, it was way more than three individuals could facilitate. We ended probably up, in their in their lifetime. <laughs> in their lifetime, exactly. <laughs> so the first challenge was how are we going to have the resources to be able to successfully provide this? I presented this data to the chief operating officer and the CEO and was able to get a third position approved. So we love, we love through, that. <laughs> love it. So then we went through the hiring process was able, and we're able to bring on someone from uh, internally. So she already knew the organization had been on the front lines and we're able to bring her in as a third training specialist. That's from, awesome. Yeah, she was she was fabulous too. Great addition to the team. From there, we went through about a month of a train the trainer uh, facilitation with the vendor. So the three of or the four of us, in addition to uh, su selected leaders and staff from other departments, went through a very thorough. You know, here is how you do everything. Okay, now you get to train everybody else on how to do it. And the vendor did have manuals and resources and e-learnings that we were able to use, but it was not customized. And because a lot of the settings were those that we could set that may be different from what their standard was, we still had to finagle some modifications with that. So that was about a month process there. We then had about two months where I was leading my team in developing our own training. So what we determined in collaborating with other leaders was that our team was going to focus really on the frontline, what we called retail staff, so the branch staff, those that were, and they were the heaviest users, which is why we determined that we would concentrate on those. And then allow the vendor to really provide more of the training for those areas that used it maybe a little bit less on a daily basis. So we took what we learned from the vendor and sat down and said, okay, if we were, you know, a teller, this is what we would need to know and structured it from point A to point B, developing manuals, developing procedures, finding ways to explain the information that was relevant and relatable to what the person had been used to in the old system. And there were a lot of efficiencies, which was great, but there were also some things that were very, very, very different. And just even the way that things were laid out and what was called, it was um, an interesting way to try to find how to explain some of the, the processes that they were going through. It's almost like learning a new language too, right? It's it like kind, it kind of was. We we joked that 
if you think about a, even a system like Microsoft Word, where you click on, you know, file, and then there might be a, another carrot, and then you click on another one, there were like 15 levels. So it was like, we call them like, there was a tab, and then there was a tab, tab, and then there was a tabby, tab, tab. <laughs> <laughs> it got a little confusing, but we taught everybody the language. So once we, once we were at a place where we felt like we were ready to pilot it, we asked our counterparts in other departments to identify kind of a pilot test team. So we put a couple of different groups through a few days of this pilot training and let it as if it were the final training and then solicited their feedback. And that was really beneficial because it showed us that in one case, we were taking too long on training. And they were like, we were good after two days. We don't need three days on this. And great. <laughs> awesome. And then another group was like, hey, we only had three days. We really could use an additional like half day because there were some times where we felt like we were being rushed through the material. So went back, revamped. And then also part of what I did was had to look at how many employees were going to need each training. How long was each training? How many like sessions individually were we going to need? And how were we going to get people registered into these sessions? And on top of that, we did not have a formal training facility that sat more than six individuals. So we needed to train approximately 150 individuals over a period of about three months, because what we also wanted to do was make sure that we weren't training too close to launch and not giving people enough time to absorb and practice and really get into the information, but also not training too far away from launch, because then they could lose some of that information if they weren't keeping up with practicing. So... I was able to work with our IT group and we converted an old storage facility, basically. I mean, it was not like self-storage, like yeah. you know, storage <laughs> type of thing. We opened up the doors and uh, okay, come I mean, in, come in was, for was, training. It was a slight step above that. It was a building that we had, had purchased with the intention of potentially using it for something like this. So it had enough space to convert into two additional training rooms, um, one that sat about 15 people, another that sat about 10 people. And then we had our original training location that sat about six. So now we had three locations. So we could have three concurrent sessions going on. But how do we register people for that? So I wanted to make it as efficient as possible for managers and staff um, was able to find a training or not a training, a scheduling software that we purchased. And then I trained all employees on how to use that system because it was different from anything we had had before, before it had been more of, oh, you need training, contact L&D and they'll schedule you in this, we didn't want to have to be chasing people down. We didn't want people to have to contact us directly. So I trained everyone on using this, which worked fabulously because it also was able to automatically send out email reminders. And we could, as the trainers, pull that information up and see who was in each session, mark who had attended, et cetera, et cetera. So once we had all of this set, then <laughs> this is all before we even started the formal training. Then 
I said, okay, we need to find a way to engage individuals with this material and ensure that they are practicing and keeping up with it post-training. So if somebody was going through one of the earlier training sessions, which I believe we started in about September, then come launch in December, we wanted to make sure that they were still able to function as efficiently and effectively as possible. From in that regard, I created an engagement, I guess uh, I'm blanking on the word, incentive, that's it. <laughs> an, an incentive badging program for the for employees. And the system called different modules within it wizards. So there was the deposit wizard, there was the new account wizard, there was the loan wizard. As a nerd, I said, well, what is wizarding like Harry Potter? We, all, <laughs> we also this. had a, we have a department, had a department mascot. He was a little cartoon owl. His name was Albert Einstein. <laughs> what I worked with my team on developing was this incentive program where depending upon the number of training sessions an individual went through and depending upon the number of practice hours that they put into the system, post-training, which we were able to measure through reports within the system, they could progress through several what we called ordinary wizarding levels or OWLs. So I believe it was something like if they attended one training session or they practiced for five hours, that was level one. And then it kind of progressed up from there up to what we called the highest ordinary wizarding level or HOWL. <laughs> and that was if they had gone through, I believe it was three training, three formal training sessions, plus at least 25 hours of practice within the system independently. And for each level, we recognized those achievements weekly through correspondence on the intranet, on email. They also got a certificate and the little Owlbert character had a different badge depending upon which level. Those that reached level five, they got a little um, stress ball owl to display on their, their workstation. And it was something that was also posted on their intranet um, page that so they had that little owl banner on there. And that worked fabulously. And I was so impressed at the number of people that were so excited about just getting a piece of paper or getting that little squishy owl that it was amazing. And what it resulted in is, so this system was utilized by about 80% of the organization. The other 20% were areas like facilities, human resources, the executive team that aren't really needing to be in it because they have other systems and other responsibilities that they're going through. Because we had created this system of incentivizing, incentivizing and trying to engage individuals with the whole program, others wanted to participate. And so we had executive leaders who said, hey, I want to come to a teller training session. I'm going to register. I'm going to take three days out of my schedule and I want to learn this too. We had, we had some sessions that were just kind of a one day for those um, 
areas of the organization that really just needed to kind of be able to research and find information quickly, but pretty basic. We had individuals in, in human resources and facilities who were like, hey, can I come to, to one of the you know search level sessions? And then we would use some of the holidays. So things like Indigenous Peoples Day, Veterans Day, and provide the opportunity for staff who would have otherwise been off on those days to come into the office, practice, and we provided some different types of quizzes and knowledge checks and, and checkpoints that we could go through with staff and that, that could help them level up and learn, earn additional levels. Um, it resulted in about 98% of the staff earned at least a level, an OWL level one, and uh, probably about 75 to 80% earned the highest level. Wow. And it was That's shocking. It was it was awesome. In a great it was, way. It, it was great to walk through branches or walk through administrative offices and see all the little owls on people's workstations because people were really proud that they had achieved that. And what was also amazing, so we're also at the same time working to develop all the procedures, finding all the kinks, working out all of the the information that we had to absorb, but then wanted to translate to the rest of the staff. And the, we, the, not, the not sexy stuff. The not sexy <laughs> the, stuff. The behind the scenes. <laughs> so, I mean, it was everything from saying, how are we going to house all of these procedures? So I set up a SharePoint site that then we were able to link from intranet pages that had those categorized by types of procedures and labeling the procedures and setting a standardization for how those procedures would look so that it was uniform, whether you were pulling up a responsibility here, or responsibility here. It, you knew that that was coming from learning and development, that that was a vetted and thorough way to go through what it is that you needed to do. Also created a number of job aids that people could print if they wanted, post at their workstations that were quickly walked through kind of those most frequently performed tasks. Trying to hit on, on all levels. When it launched, so over a weekend, all the data was converted, which thankfully I didn't have anything to do with. And then we came in on, I believe it was a Sunday to kind of data check, spot check, make sure that everything looked accurate, make sure that everything was functioning as it should, and then started operating on it. And when we started operating on it, I had my team deployed to different locations to help frontline staff. I was also out there helping frontline staff and it was fairly seamless. And it was so rewarding because the previous core system conversion, which happened probably about 10 years ago, it was before I was in the learning function, there had been about a 30 to 35% frontline staff turnover in the month after conversion because there had not been training. There, there had been very minimal training. It was only provided by the vendor. There were no procedures. There were, was no learning staff to support frontline staff. And the stress levels were just overwhelming. I mean, you think about 
you know, some you're a teller, you know, you're probably not making that much money. You've got somebody in front of you who's trusting you with their money. And if you're not confident in what you're doing, that's going to show. And individuals can get very upset if they feel like you're not being trustworthy with their money or you don't know how you're performing your job. So there was a very, very high turnover rate at that point. After this conversion, there was zero voluntary turnover in the month following conversion. And Amazing. We'll talk it, about measure, was, measurement like later, getting, but I, I love it. <laughs> and the feedback that we got from, from staff was this, you made this so easy. You made this so easy and we know where to go if we have questions. So while we were in the locations helping out with making sure that everybody had what they needed, they were like, it's great that you're here. We appreciate the support, but we don't really need you for this. Which is like, like the best awesome. feeling, right? Of like, it really is like you're self-sufficient. You fly little birdies, fly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And even after it launched, there were new things that were being discovered or we'd find out, oh, wait, you know, this is actually a more efficient way to do this. Or somebody would stumble on a, a new finding. So we launched a a bi-weekly digest where we had those kind of key points because while we were communicating these out regularly with everything going on, people are not able to absorb information in an email or on an intranet update as much as we would consolidate everything from that week into a digest, send it out as a fun PDF via email posted on the intranet. And that way they can say, oh, yeah, I do remember seeing that email about that. I am, we are going to do it this way. Cool. Awesome. Or, you know, hey, this procedure has been updated. Here's the link to the updated one. If you printed the old one, which we were telling them not to print because so much was changing (laughs) every day, you know, please replace it. These are the things that have changed about it. And it was a really an exercise in in project management and change management and communication. And it was rewarding that the whole organization was really pulling together to make this happen. And learning and development was maybe not leading the charge, but a huge part in the success of the whole endeavor. And I think, I think too, that that's, that's very common, right? It's very, it's very, rare that we are leading the charge. We're typically told, here's a big organizational change, go train for it. Right. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that's the norm. I mean, that's, you know, that's just the reality. We're a support function that we're here to, we're here to support those things. I think unless it's a training tool that we're putting into place in LMS and LXP, uh, you know, even in your case, right? Like you introduce that scheduling tool, right? Then, okay, then it's our tool, our implementation. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we, that's our role is to help, you know, implement these things. And I I was taking notes as you were talking because, and we'll talk about this, the kind of what informed your strategy in in a second, that'll be my, my next question for you. But it was so interesting to hear all the different pieces that really came together. So um, I loved, I, I'll start from backwards because I agree. I was thinking as you were talking, like having like you, you have such strong communication skills. That's a core part of just a skill set that you bring to the table, uh, but how much communication is required. And I think we, and I wrote down too, like communication, marketing, branding, so much of that 
led, it seems at least led to the success of that moment when they're like, thank you for being here, but we don't need you. We love you, but we're good. (laughs) But it's, it's like that, that didn't just happen miraculously. Right. I think, um, you know, being able to make it engaging and fun and, uh, you know, adding a little bit of that, that incentivizing and, you know, I, it also almost adds a little bit of a competition, right? Because if all your coworkers have owls, you know, you're like, oh, well, I, okay, well, I want an owl too. And that, right. that, that number you gave around how many people reach that, that level five, it just goes to show too, that that was working. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really, really incredible. And a couple of things that stood out to me is similar, what, what, something that you said in the beginning of, of walking us through that was the part of identifying what already existed. So looking at the fact that, hey, the vendor does provide some training. Uh, we're not going to use all of it. And this isn't necessarily applicable to all of us. And I think what happens is people either go you know, black or white with that of like, we're either using it all, even though it's not applicable, or we're not using any of it. And I, it, what I heard you say, which I think makes for such great, good learning, is you were able to say, hey, pieces of this we can use. So let's not recreate the wheel pieces of it we can't use. Great. We're not going to give that to our people because we're going to have to recreate the wheel anyways later. So might as well do that part of it now. And then looking at the audience and being able to say, these pieces are going to be good for this audience. And these, uh, and from a vendor perspective, the vendor can, t- can take care of this audience. So I thought that was a really, really great perspective and journey that you took because I do, I've seen, I personally have been there and I've seen so many people say like, oh, the, the vendor training, we'll just use that and like not even care to look at it or, oh, it's going to be nowhere near how we're using it. And then again, not care to look at it and see that. So uh, I thought that was some, like what, something that really stood out to me uh, as well there. So with that, like when you think about all those different pieces, what really helped you form or inform like the strategy to kind of put this entire, really essentially this cluster, essentially like put this cluster together uh, that turned into this, this learning experience. I think really looking at the different personas of who would need what and what would be the best method to reach them in a few different channels. So looking at what a teller persona needed and what their resources were. They're they're serving people day in, day out. They're not in a back office somewhere where they can say, hey, I'm going to step away from my responsibilities for 15, 20 minutes and and take this e-learning, knowing that we had to reach people in multiple channels. And I'm a huge fan, I'm a huge fan of the learning cluster design model. And while that, I don't even know if that book had come out by the time when we did this. If it had, I certainly hadn't read it yet. But when I read that, I immediately started thinking of all of these different things that I led my team through during this conversion process and ensuring that we had all of those touch points and we had opportunities for formal learning. We had opportunities for social learning where even during our formal training sessions, when people would be working on things independently, we encouraged, hey, help one another out. If you find a better way to do this than what we have said, please tell us, give us that feedback and taking that, those evaluations and then revamping as we went and being able to continuously improve our own processes. Yeah, I love too, you had mentioned uh, part of that strategy of that pilot as well. And I think that's something that 
I do see that we utilize often. I don't think learn LND utilizes it often enough, even if it's a micro pilot, you know, even if it's just getting a, a piece of co- one piece of concentrated feedback that, you know, could be implemented to, to tweak or to change. Uh, I thought that was something that was a really great part of your strategy that you found out actually ended up saving you all time. Right. Like I thought that was really cool too, of like, oh, it actually, we got it after day two. Like we're, we're good. And like, oh, great. Well, we don't need to keep you here another three days too. So what, what helped you decide on your, like that, that pilot strategy? Really just looking at, we want this to be as effective as possible. And I have a certain skill set. My team had a certain skill set, but we're not the ones on the ground performing this day in, day out. So while we are the experts in training, we are not the experts in serving our members or serving our customers in the same way that somebody on a front line would be. So what also I think really helped with those pilot sessions was asking managers to identify not just their high performers who had you know, excelled in their job in this role for a couple of years, but new hires. And or you know those who maybe weren't as skilled as somebody who was more on a management track, because what somebody who's on you know a management track who's been in their role for a couple of years is going to get out of it is so vastly different than what somebody who is newer to the organization or maybe need is still building up some of their skills is going to need, and we didn't have the resources to say, this is a high performing track session. This is a new hire training track session. We knew we were going to have mixed groups in every session and wanted to make sure that it would meet the needs of both those high performers and those who were still growing within their skills. That's really great. That made me think too, I think there's a lot of times where people do the pilot approach, but they bring in all their high, like hypo talent Mm -hmm. and- it's um, it's not a pilot that ends up being a feedback session, and I think exactly. there's a there's a difference. And I love it for you. You're like we're bringing a we're gonna bring a whole mixed bag in, and we're really gonna test this out on a mixed bag of people and see like how are we leveling this out to to be able to meet multiple needs. So I think a lot of people confuse the idea of a pilot with a feed like getting feedback, um, which of course you get feedback from the pilot, but that that's not necessarily the 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 sole goal and the sole purpose. So I thought that was that, that that made me think as you were talking. And I think that's a really great part of that strategy of we're bringing, we're bringing everyone in because we're bringing, Mm -hmm. we're going to bring a sample pool in of who's actually out there as well versus just the talent that, yeah, it's on the management track or someone who's been in their role for a while. Like, no, why not bring the new hire who's been there for a month, who is just getting used to this other system, right? right? And see like, what is their reaction? And that, that probably, we'll talk about the measurement in a little bit too, but I think that also leads to that retention piece because they're like, rather than being really stressed out about why well, just learn this, this whole system, not to learn another one, they're, they're feeling that, that support there too. Exactly. And it was also beneficial in that once we had started doing the formal training sessions, we were able to identify those individuals who were really picking up on it quickly and really excelling on it. Sometimes that was a high performer. Sometimes it wasn't. And then I was able to go to those managers and say, hey, Sarah has got this. Can I make her a champion in her department for this? and have her 
be kind of the point person for her colleagues if they have questions that she might be able to help them out with before they need to come to learning and development. So it also helps give some leadership opportunities and formal leadership opportunities to staff who were not in leadership positions. And again, saving you all that time of having, and again, you're not the experts in the system either. So if we can start catch, if those people who are familiar with these core systems, just in general, right, are grasping mm-hmm. onto it, they're going to be most likely better suited to answer those questions anyways than you all. So why not, why not utilize that? I, I love that. And you know, you had, you had alluded to this before, but I want to dive into it, you know, about like your own team and the skills that you all brought to the table. So what skills did you and your team leverage in order to develop this learning experience? So the skills that I really brought was the overall needs analysis, and then the organization of all of those different pieces of the puzzle and being able to map out from point A to point Z, what needed to happen, where resources were needed, where delegation was needed, whether within the team or within other areas. And I was kind of the owl champion (laughs) of setting that, that creativity and leading that incentive program charge. Within the team, my learning and development specialist, one was extremely skilled at graphic design. So she was the one who was creating a lot of those infographics and job aids and supplemental materials. Another was very skilled at the technical procedures and was very detail oriented and being able to comb through what either myself or another member of our team had put together and filling in any gaps. And another was very good at being able, had the most experience with the previous system. So was very good at being able to translate from, okay, this is how it was done in this system. This is how it's gonna be done now and making that connection. And all three of them were excellent facilitators. I mean, just, they had different styles, but each of their styles worked very, very well. I think I, I really love that have having that like that distinction and there's the overlap and there's the crossover that there's those distinct skills and I think it goes back to to I'm sure you all knew this core what's it called core a core processing system. core processor okay that's okay that's what I thought um core processing I, I I'm sure uh, obviously this was something that was probably had been in the works for a while I don't think you just like one day buy it off the shelf and, uh, yeah. and like oh yeah we're gonna implement this right <laughs> and so I think what's helpful and as you know L&D becomes more integrated with the business as a whole and part of these conversations this is where having that overarching learning strategy comes into play right that work that we're doing at good learning of like looking at the overarching strategy of here are some of these really big things that are coming down the pipeline where you know replacing our core processing system this is going to be this is going to be big and it allowed you in in setting that strategy and being a part of it, it allowed you to hire the right people to align with the strategy. And I think a lot of times we're trying to fit square pegs to round holes and that that's the reality of what we do, right? Like, but I think when we look at, if we can actually 
create that this larger term strategy, one, two, three, five years and say, hey, here's the big things that we're going to be implementing because we know some of those things. We know growth is coming or we're, you know, in, in my old world, you know, we knew we were buying a portfolio of business and those things take a long time to happen. So it allows you to then create that business case to say, hey, mm-hmm. here's the talent that we need to make that happen too. So I, I that's something I really got, I've gotten from your whole story is, being able to do that, be, be a part of that overarching strategy from the business perspective, create that overarching learning strategy, and then say, hey, here's the talent gap that I have on my team that I'm going to need to help fill that too. So I'm not surprised to hear that there were that those different skills, those overlapping skills that aligned perfectly to the type of work that you all all were doing there too. So that's an interesting kind of perspective that I got from what the journey that you've just walked us through. Exactly. And it was nice that even before we started the whole training process, when we were still looking at potential systems, L&D had a seat at the table where I was in all of the, the demo sessions for potential vendors. And when possible, I would bring one of my specialists with me so that I could get their perspective as well. And there were you know, some vendors that we were like, this is amazing. And then there were some that we were like, oh no, we're not going there. <laughs> and being able to have that voice was really nice that the organization recognized that, hey, learning is gonna play a huge part in this. We want them to see it before we even make a decision to make sure that it is something that will be sustainable years to come. Yeah. I mean, thinking of sustainability too, obviously the the big system here, right, was the core processing system. Like that was obviously, but what, when you think about the delivery of your, the learning intervention that you all created or interventions, because there's amalgamation here, <laughs> what, what tools and technology did you all use from a learning perspective? Well, from a learning perspective, really the processing system itself was what we were training on. And we used really just word processing programs and Canva to create the procedures and the job aids that in terms of sustainability, we were then able to use those once the conversion was over to start training new hires. So that processing system training that we went through with current employees, we're able to very easily adapt that to somebody who was brand new to the organization post-conversion with adding in some of those things that we didn't need to go through with current staff. And that was really nice because we already had it all. We didn't have to recreate the wheel. We had our procedures. We had our manuals. We had our knowledge checks and quizzes. We had our job aids. So other than when something needed to be tweaked here or there, it was done. It was it was sustainable. And at the time that I, I departed the organization, we were still using those same procedures because they were still relevant. We were still using that you know, same kind of training guidelines that we had used once the, the system went live you know, a year or so before. That's that's amazing because what stands out to me, and I've done so many of these interviews, and I now say this on every single episode, so sorry to everyone who keeps hearing me say this, is that I've been hearing about some amazing learning happening and amazing results. We can talk about we'll talk about that in a second, but the you know turnover and the leveling and the engagement in it. Uh, 
And not once have I heard people talk about these over-the-top tools that they utilized to implement it. And I go back to what you said earlier of the majority of these people are tellers working with customers at any given moment. And in that moment, if I'm working with a customer and I'm like, oh shoot, like, how do I do that? I can't be like, hold on, let me please log on to my learning experience platform real quick um, and watch this 20 minute video of how to, you know, get you your cash or deposit your cash. Right. (laughs) But if I have a manual there and I'm like able to flip really quickly to the page that is deposit cash, right. I have it right in front of me, click, 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 click. Right. And so I think so many people So many people probably look down at that as like, oh, like it's just a bunch of paper, but you have to put yourself in those shoes of the person. Like they're, they're, they're not going to be able to log in and watch a video on something. So being able to have that, that, that paper, that manual, that's that easy access for them. That's the, in the, in the moment that they, that they need when they're, they've forgotten something too. So I just, I really one of the things I wrote down earlier, I knew we'd get to tools and technology, but I wrote down that you, I wrote, you did all of this with very minimal tech. Obviously the platform itself was a big undertaking of of technology, but as far as, you know, you didn't layer on unnecessary pieces of technology onto it. And I see so many people try to just like, especially when it comes to training on a new software, shove everything into another software. And it's like, I've already have to log into this system that I'm trying to learn. Now I have to log into that system and like do all of these things. So what I'm really getting, taking away from this is you made a very complicated situation as uncomplicated as possible, which is why it was successful that you're able to like, what, what is most important? And you really met the needs of the learner, like where they were at too. So I love that you didn't just add on unnecessary technology and that lot of people don't have the money to even add that on there too or the budget to do it <laughs> no and the vendor did have several e-learning modules that we were given access to that we gave staff access to they actually were not able to be uploaded into our own lms so what i was able to work with it on was finding a way to embed those within the intranet which was really kind of our knowledge repository so a staff member could go to the intranet page on you know, depositing cash. They could choose to watch the e-learning. They could go to the job aid or they could link to the procedure or they could, we also would have, you know, kind of quick tips of, you know, what's, what's the most frequently asked questions, if you will, and get that in the spot where they were used to going anyway, rather than needing, so they could choose to, for example, all of our procedures were embedded in the intranet and on a SharePoint. They could choose to just go right to the SharePoint. That's cool, no problem. Or they could link to it from the intranet. Either way, they're getting the same information. Yeah, I think as the more that we can do that, and it requires some strategic work because the more places you have things, the more you have to make sure they're all updated. But if you're able to weave that web where like one thing is updated and then it updates somewhere else, it's all kind of hyperlinked out essentially from the main source. You just provide so many options for, for learning. And that's something I really have taken away from, from what you've talked about is that 
again, something that is very complicated and you, you made it way less complicated and at the same time provided lots of different options and modalities for people to learn, to get the help they need, to, you know, understand something on, on a deeper level if they decided to dive deeper into it too. So you really hit all of those, like not only did you hit the persona from a, from a job level, right? But actually from a, a, you know, from the timing, how much time they're going to have to learn something new or, you know, what's going to happen when they forgot something as well. So it's interesting to hear where, where technology played a part in that. And then also where you took a step back and said, we don't need a piece of tech to, to do that. So with that, I mean, thinking about, I mean, this sounds like such an epic learning intervention that you created, knowing what you know now, kind of flashing back, what would you do differently now if you could go back and change anything? I think going back to what you were talking about, about having kind of the one single source of truth that's hyperlinked out, unfortunately, our intranet software was not such that automatically updated. If for, So if, if, for example, I changed a procedure in SharePoint and it changed that out the link that went to it, that wouldn't automatically update on the intranet. So it was more manual work to remember, okay, I updated that procedure or my team member updated that procedure. Let's make sure we update that link so it doesn't go to a dead link. And we're human, things would get missed, but we also established that kind of open communication rapport with employees at all levels so they could call us up or email or Teams message and say, hey, I tried to get to this procedure and it says not found. Can you help me? And they'd be like, oh, yes, I forgot. We updated that yesterday. Let me go change that link and make sure that we were meeting those needs. I wish it had that functionality. Unfortunately, it didn't, but we found a workaround. Yeah. And I think, too, especially when you're... I think everyone listening who is doing a big software training like this, uh, which happens often, where especially now too, I feel like it's it's you said you know it was ten years before. I feel now like too, it's like some of these systems were updating and changing much quicker than that. Uh, the the systems are becoming a little less expensive, so it gives us an opportunity to change them more. But what I I hope people get from this as well is just that that idea of sometimes like less is more and you know when it comes to it and then also providing that initial like almost like helpline which it sounds like it's like where where I think a lot of people they might go a, a link's broken and then they don't hear from someone for a week and a half and they start to lose that that faith in the learning team too so it also sounds like you all a probably prior to this but also during not only did you market you know the program and the new software and all that stuff but you also were the champions of it and so i think i hope people hope people hearing this especially if they're doing any software implementation remember that it's not just the before and the during and like the like and at the implementation but it's what what's happening afterwards and are they still feeling supported there too so it sounds like you and your team did a really great job of keeping that line of communication open people felt comfortable coming to you all if something wasn't working or they were confused about something um and to being open to that that feedback too so uh, definitely one of the that's things an important that part. a former a former supervisor of mine who was just absolutely fabulous. He used to stress, be responsive. Like responsiveness is, is key. 
And I imposed that on my own team. And I said, we are not going to have all the answers. We are not going to be able to, as soon as somebody calls with, you know, oh my gosh, I made this error. How do I fix it? We may not know, but we need to respond and say, I am going to get back to you. And if you do not hear back from me by the end of the day, by first thing tomorrow, please reach back out. I will, I don't have the answer now. I will get that to you. Or even acknowledging when I would get an email, hey, Rebecca, I tried to go to this procedure and it said the link was broken. Even just responding to me like, oh my gosh, I will fix that right after this next meeting that I have and letting the person know and then following back on me like, okay, it's good now, test it, make sure, let me know if it's not. And that kind of constant feedback is something that I really value and that my team was very good at as well. Yeah, and I think it led to a lot of success. So I'd love to hear like, we already talked about talked about some things. We could talk about them again because I do want to dive into what you've mentioned. But how did you measure this success? I'd love to talk first, if we can, about that retention number. Just dive into that a little bit more too, and then you know move, we can move into some more measurements as well. But I feel like that one is money, literally, it, it, <laughs> literally, it really figuratively, is. all of the above. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I'm not sure of the exact statistics, but it's something like you know it costs twice as much to train a new hire as it does to keep developing a current employee and even going into to the training something that was very very important to to me to my team and to the management team of the organization overall was not repeating what had happened in the previous conversion where people were stressed out people would go on lunch and just not come back people would just not show up for work it was it was a hot mess. And I was very new to the organization at that time. So I was like, I don't even know what's going on and was not in a learning position. But we knew that we wanted to set employees up for success as much as possible. So from the engagement efforts that were led by our human resources team to keep employees feeling supported, to feeling like they had backup and that support from higher levels at the organization to the consistent training and ability to continue practicing to having resources available, whether that was people resources, print resources, e-learning resources, that the more that we could provide that kind of package of support, the less likely people would be to get overly stressed out and want to find a new position or just say, forget it, I'm out of here. And it there were stressful times. I mean, anytime you're learning something new and and really diving into it, there can be those stressful situations. But the fact that staff felt so supported that they chose to continue and were like, okay, today was today was tough, but we're going to be back at it tomorrow. And I think also seeing me and my staff who were not usually on the front lines, on the front lines and behind the teller line and helping people as they needed it. And just, or you just even sitting in an office and knowing like, Hey, I'm here. If you guys have any questions, I'm going to set up shop here for today. Come to me with anything. I'll keep checking in with you regularly. I think that was huge. And that had been a missing piece in the past where management was more removed from what was happening on the front lines once the the system was changed. Yeah. I mean, to go from, you know, the last time the system was changed for having more than a third of the organization, just like 
drop. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gigantic to 0%. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And I think you mentioned too, being able to, you know, part of the measurement was seeing like that engagement level. So, you know, I, what was the, you had mentioned that some of the percentages that at least X amount of percent got to that level one, but what was the number that made it all the way up? level five was the highest? It was about 75 to 80% of the organization. And that would have meant that they did at least 25 independent training hours beyond what they had done in a classroom or in a virtual session. Yeah. And I think you have to like deduct from that too, if someone's investing that much time, like to me, that's just success period. Like I will, I will measure that as success. But I think too, you're thinking about someone's investing that much time in their own development that, that ultimately is going to lead to that that faster time to productivity. So when it comes time to roll the system out, like that, they're they're quicker at 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 landing it, at understanding it, at, at applying it, and then ultimately, you know, if we kind of follow the trail there, you're having happy customers, or at least your customer satisfaction is still the same. I think a lot of times too, we implement things like this. You see, like that, it's normal to see a dip in customer mm-hmm. satisfaction or customers leaving, and so. You know, it, it also, there's just so much that goes that I think we could, we could track back to that overall customer satisfaction, either remaining, remaining the same or not dipping too much or even going up that, you know, it, it, a lot of it attributed to their, the engagement that you created that allowed them the opportunity to be really invested in their own learning too. So it's like, there's so many different ways that you can, can look at that, uh, and so many different components to measure the success. And I think when you take a, you know, a, a step back, you get to see all those different pictures that, that paint such a, you know, this, it's almost like a Monet, you step back and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> like this, like all these different pieces make this beautiful, beautiful picture uh, of what, of what this was and the, the true impact that it had on the organization and continued to have on the organization mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And it was also helpful that we had some employees that had a lot of longevity with the organization. So had been through the last one and we were able to tap into them and say, Hey, do you remember what your experience was like then? Do you remember how little you were, you were prepared for this? Here are the things that we're going to set in place that if you do these things, you are going to be much more prepared. And then they were able to kind of be that voice to colleagues who hadn't gone through it before and say like, hey, this was a nightmare in you know, 2011, 2012. We're not going to make it a nightmare now. This is, this is what we're going to do. And even things of working with HR to say, hey, some employees are going to have a lot more overtime because they're going to be doing their job during the day. And then we're encouraging them to replicate all of their work in the test version of the new system after hours. And getting you have that to compens- You have to compensate them, yeah. Exactly. And having that that buy-in from from HR and the, the C-level team to say, yep, we're going to put, we know there are going to be additional funds needed so that employees know that they have this ability and are going to want to stay, you know, an hour after work or come in an hour early and, and do this practice. Yeah, that's, I think there's just so many what I'm hearing from you too is like all the like so much preparation that went into it as well. And again, not just preparation from a learning perspective, like what makes good learning actually good a lot of times is that preparation and that and that communication and that partnership with other departments too, saying like, hey, here's the plan that we have in place. But yeah, again, they can't just 
all of a sudden check out from their teller job with a line of, you know, customers waiting, waiting there. So here's the reality of it. It's going to have to be before, you know, before or after work. And we have to compensate that. And I think that also helps people who doesn't love some overtime, you know, now and again. Right. And so being able for them to, to, to get rewarded financially for that too. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who, a lot of places that are like, nope, they need to do it during their work hours. It's like, well, but you actually can't. Yeah. If you're a front, if you're a frontline employee. Like that, that's not the way that the world works. So I, right. I love that. Like part, the reason why you were able to measure it, measure it successfully and why it was successful is all these different moving pieces that you oversaw and we were able to really, you know, wrap them into one. So with that, I have a question for you that I that I had not prepared you for. So I'm going to ask you. Um, it's a, it's a it's a spin off of off of the next question that I have on my list. Since you are one of our chief learning officer, uh, fractional CLOs here at Good Learning, what type of projects are you looking for in your next take on here at Good Learning Agency? I think these larger scale implementation projects that have all of these moving pieces. It's something that I really enjoy doing. I love seeing how everything fits together and working with stakeholders throughout the organization to build that support and have that influence where there will be buy-in for the learning initiatives and where I can help show this is how this is going to impact the ultimate business or the bottom line of the business. This is how it's going to save time, save money, save resources. But here are the things we're going to need to do to get there. And putting that all together is something that I really enjoy. Amazing. You heard it here, folks. Anyone looking for someone to do an overarching strategy on your big implementation, go to realgoodlearning.com and uh, we'll uh, we'll get Rebecca on it immediately. <laughs> All right. Last question for you, my friend, what is your number one tip that you have when it comes to creating real good learning? I think really being able to dive in and know the needs of the learner. And that's going to be for a large project like this, the needs of each learner persona are going to be a little bit different. But you have to know those needs in order to develop learning that's going to be effective and is going to be sustainable. I love it. I love it. Keep it simple too, right? Like I like find out what they need. What do the people need? Give the people what they need. Uh, well, you've definitely given the people what they need with this episode. I, you know, I just adore you so much. I love having you on. Um, I loved hearing your thought process. I mean, we've known each other for a while now, but really getting to dive into all the moving parts of, of this process where, you know, where you started, where it landed, um, all of the different ways that you tackled this, this strategy was so, it's, well, you're so impressive, but it was so impressive to hear uh, the back end. I know people are going to want to connect with you too. So where can people find you, connect with you, um, learn more about the amazing Rebecca? I am pretty active on LinkedIn. So Rebecca spelled the normal boring way. Uh, Lurch, L-E-R-C-H, not L-U-R-C-H, not like on the Adams family. Um, <laughs> but if you search me up on LinkedIn, and I'm sure Sarah can probably also include that in the show notes, I am happy to, to connect and, and grow my network with you. 
Amazing. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for hopping on the Good Learning Podcast. And again, if you want to learn more about Rebecca and work with Rebecca, go to realgoodlearning.com to learn more about this fabulous human that we had on today. So Rebecca, thanks so much for walking us through this big, massive undertaking that you kind of made sound easy in a way. So um, I know for me, I'm like, man, I, I remember I implemented an HRIS system once and I'm like, man, I wish I would have had this podcast episode uh, many, many years ago. Cause I, I think back and I'm like, oh, I really could have used a, a Rebecca in my back pocket then. So <laughs> thank you so much for, for walking us through this and for sharing your knowledge with us. Well, thank you for having me on. I was happy to do so. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you got both inspiration and practical tools that you can use to create your very own good learning. If this podcast impacted you in any way, please consider giving us a review to share your feedback. We would love to hear how you're applying tips from the show to your own work. And if you're looking for help in creating your very own good learning strategy for your organization, check out realgoodlearning.com to see how we can help.